Hi everyone, I'm Joshua Friedman, senior news reporter at Rappaport, and joining us from uh, from Carlsbad is uh, is Susan Jack, president and CEO of the GIA, the, the Gemological Institute of America. The GIA is obviously one of the biggest names, or even the biggest name, in diamond grading. So it's great to have you uh, on the podcast, uh, Susan. Thank you, and it's a delight to be with you all today. Thank you. Great. Um, so to start with, I want to ask about uh, about COVID nineteen. How has it affected grading activity, and particularly the the recent recovery that we've seen in in the diamond industry? Have you seen an increase in the number of submissions that you've been uh, receiving? Well. Obviously, COVID impacted each and every one of us and our way of life and unfortunately has is continuing to do so. And I think the future has accelerated and come to us very, very quickly. Obviously, as with everyone else, we had significant challenges when the pandemic first started back in March and April. Uh, we had to close most all of our locations. But I'm very proud to say that today we have been able to bring our staff back to work and we are uh, open in all of our 11 global laboratories, and we're gradually adding hours and shifts uh, to meet the increasing demand for our services. And we have implemented significant safety and health protocols in every location and thankfully have been able to bring our staff back into a very safe environment. The recent sites, um, particularly last week's De Beers, El Rosa, some of the tenders, as well as I think some of the rough that was already in the marketplace um, has us eagerly anticipating much greater demand for our laboratory services in the weeks and months ahead. I think there's a very shortened time window um, of time right now with retail looming. Um, most retailers like to have their inventory in-house um, by the latest November. Um, so we've got September, October to get a lot of work done, and we are very uh, confident that we'll be able to satisfy the needs of our clients and get the goods back to them as just as quickly as we possibly can. I see. Has, has social distancing impacted the way that you actually grade a diamond now? Uh, definitely. And we do follow the both federal, state, county rules in each country in which we are located. And obviously, there are significant changes that had to be made within every lab. Social distancing, hand washing, um, masks required at all times. Um, together with the all sorts of temperature screening and things that happen when our graders arrive to work. But uh, unfortunately, in some locations, there are still government restrictions as to the percentage of people that can come back to work, particularly in our India lab at this time. But social distancing is absolutely required. We've installed plexiglass in many of our locations to ensure that separation between graders. And we've included some uh, multiple shifts in certain locations now so that we can certainly address all the safe and healthy protocols. But, you know, our incredible teams in all of our labs have really responded with great professionalism and dedication. And so we are very well staffed and ready to meet the demand for the services. And we will continue consumer protection mission by making sure that as many diamonds as possible enter the market with GIA reports and that that consumer is. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, has the amount of time that it takes to get a diamond graded increase as a result of all this? Our processes have not necessarily changed significantly. Obviously, the way we're doing work, just that social distancing shifts uh, required. But no, the time has not. Again, we're anticipating significant volume 
in the weeks and months ahead, and we are staffing accordingly and bringing back. Thankfully, our staff are delighted to be coming back to work. Those that were furloughed, some of them have been on work share. And as we bring our staff back, they're very excited to get back to what they do very, very well. And um, I, we anticipate that we will be able to satisfy the need of, of clients very well in the, in the weeks and months ahead. Right. Um, one of the interesting things about the pandemic is how it's accelerated some changes that were already going on in the industry or in the world, really. How would you say that COVID-19 has changed your strategy in the long term, even beyond the pandemic? Well, we're about to go into our strategy sessions for the next three years in just a, literally a couple of weeks. But I do think that there was so much emphasis on technology, and I think that is what's really coming forward. And the way we work, working remotely, um, you know, the mandates in many of the places where we are still operating, um, mandate that if you can work remotely, you must work remotely. So the use of digital just to communicate, just to do our work today, um, has changed fundamentally um, from just the beginning of this year. But we have um, really focused and, and brought forward some of the strategic initiatives that we have been working on um, with respect to instrumentation, with respect to automation. Um, and so we're very, very confident that all of the technology that we're able to bring forward will only continue to help us in the efforts we make to service our clients. Mm. Great. I'd like to ask a bit later about automation, uh, but just to start with, um, uh, last week you um, you announced or it, it emerged that you, that you were considering uh, shutting down or scaling back uh, your operations in, in Antwerp in Belgium. Um, and this surprised quite a, f a few people because only two years ago you invested quite heavily in that uh, in, in that operation, and I, I believe you have a quite a, a large space in in, the, in one of the bosses there. Can you explain what people have perceived as a bit of a, a U-turn? I think that every business today is evaluating their future. You know, there were many in the scientific world that anticipated there might be a pandemic that came and would alter life as we knew it. And I think those conversations have been going for several years. But I don't think that we generally in business had foresight that this could come and totally disrupt everything that we do. And so as any business does, um, we constantly evaluate our global footprint, how we provide services, what services we provide, what are the needs of our clients, and how best can we satisfy those needs and so based on global and local market conditions and activity and the impact, obviously, that the global pandemic has had, um, we had to conduct an evaluation of the long-term viability of GIA Belgium. And as I say, review all of our lab operations as part of the normal course of business and our schools and the way we provide education. So as a result of that evaluation, um, we have the intention to close or significantly reduce the GIA lab and offices in Antwerp. And that unfortunately is likely to result in a reduction in our staff there. Um, I want to emphasize though, we have not yet made a final decision about the closure or the near closure of the lab and offices in Antwerp. And we are currently in negotiations with our staff in that location um, and consulting with them and uh, having conversations following all Belgian law and regulations that cover such situations. And so we are still, Antwerp clients are still able to submit and pick up stones from the GI laboratory in Antwerp. 
Um, and during the peri- this period, the GIA laboratory in Antwerp will continue operations as they are today. If the decision is to significantly reduce the operation rather than completely close it, what will be left there? You know what, that is part of the negotiations that we're having with our staff right now. But we do understand that our consulting services to clients on large stones is a very important part of what we do there. Um, and so we're, we're looking at, again, our Diamond Origin program. Um, the evaluation of rough also happens through Antwerp. So those are a few of the things that we're currently looking at. I understand. And there was a report in the local uh, media in, in Belgium that uh, you could potentially lay off 50 people there. Uh, are you able to comment on that number, please? Unfortunately, I can't um, speak to the specifics at this time. Um, but again, know that our well-being of our staff is obviously our number one priority. And we unfortunately, as do all businesses, at some point sometimes have to make very difficult choices and very difficult decisions. But we're negotiating with the staff at this time. And as soon as we are able, GIA will put out a press release informing the trade of the decisions that have been made. Right, I understand. Um, I think it was two years ago you closed uh, your operation in Dubai. Um, are you reconsidering any other locations, any other GIA locations around the world? Um, what I would say is we constantly evaluate, as, as I said, you know, where do, does GIA need to be to provide education? So a year ago, we closed our school in Tokyo. Two years ago, we did close our very small intake operation in the Middle East, in Dubai. Um, so we do constantly look and review but there are no imminent plans to make drastic cuts to GIA anywhere else um, in the world. And we will continue to evaluate how best to serve the clients that we have and encourage new clients to GIA through the services that we provide and where we provide those services. Right. Now, Susan, I, I said I'd get back to the topic of automation. Uh, you recently announced that you're working with IBM on automated clarity grading. And you, you said at the time that it was um, it was already in limited use in your labs in, in New York and Carlsbad. And can you elaborate on how much you're using this technology, please? Um, and are most grading reports already partly based on artificial intelligence? GIA really has a very long history with instrumentation to support the grading process. And I think our first colorimeter was back in the 1940s. But we will use technology and continue to use new technologies as they come to market um, to really supplant the skill and expertise of our highly trained and experienced graders so that they can continue to focus on the aspects of grading that most requires human judgment. So we're a strong believer that automation is the future direction of diamond grading. Um, But our skilled graders, and we have many across the world at GIA, will always be the foundation and a very important part of the grading services. So while the AI clarity system will change some processes, the graders will continue to apply their talent and expertise to the most important and challenging stones. Um, and we are, uh, we've done a tremendous amount of research on automated clarity grading for more than a decade now. So this is not something new that GI has just started working on. And we've been working intensely with IBM the best in the world and a global leader in artificial intelligence and machine learning um, research and application for more than two years. 
And so we're very excited with the announcement. We are in the pilot phase right now. Um, so it's not uh, throughout all of our labs and it is not through the entire process at this time. Uh, but we really do believe that adding this advanced artificial intelligence capability to our grading process is 100% aligned with our mission. So the more stones that are accurately, consistently, and independently graded based on GI standards, the more consumers are protected. And that is our mission, to ensure the public trust in gems and jewelry. Mm. So you're saying that there'll be a potentially a, a bifurcation of the grading uh, sector where the highest value stones will be graded by a human and the lower value ones by, by machine? I think what we see is the technology becomes part of the process. It doesn't take out the human grader in all aspects. One of the biggest challenges, I think, with respect to the black box that everybody has wanted for so long that will you know, spew out the four Cs and tell you exactly what you've got, what that doesn't take into account that is critical and very important part of what GIA in particular does is how do you identify the treatments? How do you identify things that are being done to stones? And if you're relying purely on the artificial intelligence and the information that has been previously um, input into the system, you're not, you don't have those eyes and gut reaction of seeing something that just doesn't seem right. Mm. And so this is a very, very important part of what cannot come about through total automation. And we've had many cases in the past of different treatment processes. If you look way back, back to the late 1990s, when HPHT diamonds first came into the marketplace, where they were high pressure, high temperature, decolorized, um, none of that would have been detected if it was just going through a process um, of, of knowledge that was already known. And so we will continue to use our graders absolutely in many, many steps throughout the grading process at uh, GIA. That's a very interesting point. And, and moving back to the, the issue of, of the higher value uh, diamonds, if I've understood this correctly, why would higher value diamonds require more human input than the lower value? And that's where we are at this moment in time. So what we have discovered, we have really built AI at this time to be responsive to the vast majority of stones that come through GIA. But as we look at the higher value, the higher value is tied to the higher rarity. So the very, very important fact factor is rarity of size, rarity of clarity, rarity of color are all very, very critical aspects. And we are focusing at this moment in time on the AI of being not in those very, very rare classifications. So flawless stones, internally flawless stones, perhaps even VVS stones, those will all continue to have human interaction to be sure that we are accurately. Will the AI continue to grow as we continue to input more and more data and information? Absolutely. But at this moment in time, um, we're very, very focused on um, the importance of the human grader in those high, rare categories of diamonds. Mm. Will AI in the long term mean that you need fewer people working for the GIA? No, thankfully. <laughs> um, one of the great things is it will afford us the ability to redeploy our graders to other services that we are considering producing and providing to the industry and to our clients. So as we look to bring other 
services to market, um, our graders can be deployed um, in those sectors. I see. Some people occasionally are concerned about the, the risk of uh, automated grading, that with everything being done by a machine, there's a, a higher risk of fraud, a higher risk of, of hacking. Um, how do you respond to that? You know, again, I think as in all of our businesses today, um, the security, cybersecurity and information and data security is critical in everything that we do. And I think it's a question of continuing to invest as necessary to put the necessary safeguards in place to ensure that that cannot happen. Um, but again, I think this is an evolution. We're on a journey and we will continue to address the challenges as well as the opportunities as they come about. Right. Um, and, and at the moment, is, will every, does every diamond still get checked by a, by a human grader? At some point, yes, it does. And, and what's your next step for the uh, um, for your collaboration with uh, with with IBM? Where do you see it going next? We've got a couple of other very very exciting um, projects we've been working on for quite some time with them. Unfortunately, I'm not at liberty to share just this moment. Um, but we continue to look at how can we continue to protect consumers. What are the needs of retailers and consumers? As the industry evolves, as consumer desires and purchasing habits evolve, and how can we bring greater opportunity to retailers to be able to service their consumers in a manner that consumers wish to be serviced today? And so we, we're working with IBM on a couple of different things that we're very, very excited about, and we'll be making announcements to those uh, in the near future. Right. Well, I mean, I'm interested in what consumers think about automated grading? Do, do consumers care if the diamond was graded by a human or by a machine? I don't think they even know, to be honest with you. I don't think, I think this is very much internal industry knowledge. As a retailer for 30 years, um, you know, I had the privilege and pleasure of helping consumers celebrate the milestones of their lives and all those special occasions in life that they came in. And, and it was such a privilege uh, to have that opportunity to help people. And that, at, for many consumers, is the very first time they even begin to understand that there is a grading report that comes along with a diamond that they may be wishing to purchase. And so I think it's, it's very much at that retail level, but they don't go into whether this was a machine-graded diamond or this was a human-graded diamond. I think it's the integrity of the report that is most important. Thankfully, GIA has an exceptional reputation. We focus on ensuring that reputation and safeguarding it at all times through the actions that we take. And so I think they get that independent assurance when they make that purchase, and that gives them a sense of comfort. I think they tend to trust the retailer they're going to visit. They tend to trust the store at which they're making their purchase, whether that be an online or whether that be an in brick and mortar store. But I don't think that the granular nature of the, um, the function within the laboratory is of, quite frankly, probably much interest or of um, much desirability for the consumer in any way. They're learning about grading reports when they're beginning to buy a diamond. If they bought mul multiple diamonds, thankfully, they're probably well aware and may come in asking for a specific GI grading report with the stone that they're going to buy. Right, I see. Now, I'd like to move back to the issue of what goes on in the trade and in the manufacturing sector with grading. 
I think a few months ago, Serene announced that they were introducing a, a grading system that enabled manufacturers to grade their own diamonds in-house, obviously still approved by um, and audited by, uh, by Serene. Um, this sounds like a, a natural progression once you're um, already involved in, in automated grading. I think there is opportunity there. I think one of the challenges, as I mentioned a little bit earlier with that, is how do you do the detection of the treatments or how do you detect um, nuances that are happening in a case like that? And so that's where I think part of the challenge that we see coming out of that. But I do think that's a, a potential and I think possibly a potential in smaller more plentiful goods in the marketplace, um, but not necessarily in the higher, rarer stones that are available. Mm, so roughly how far away are you from actually uh, implementing that? We're, as I said, in the pilot program with our AI currently in Carlsbad in New York. We would need to be rolling it out through other labs. Um, but again, this is obviously something we, we have also um, taken into consideration um, as a potential for the future. I see. Okay, so I'd like to move on to the topic of, uh, of, of lab-grown diamonds, synthetic diamonds. Um, you recently announced uh, that the GIA would be offering specific color and clarity grades for lab-grown diamonds, as you do, obviously, for, for natural diamonds already. Um, and m m many people in the industry will, will see this as a kind of a, a validation of lab-grown diamonds. Um, was, was this... Um, was this your intention at all? No, our intention is to be able to provide consumers with what consumers request and desire. Um, you know, as you're probably well aware, GI has been researching laboratory-grown diamonds since they were first created in the 1950s. We actually reached out to GE shortly after their big announcement of creating the first man-made diamond and worked very, very closely um, with them. Uh, it took 15 years to get uh, the first laboratory-grown uh, diamond of gem quality, but it hasn't only, it's really only been very recently, in recent years, um, that there's been enough production of laboratory-grown diamonds to enter into the commercial space of the industry. So we did start offering a grading service for man-made diamonds back in 2007, and we chose at that time to use ranges rather than the specific forces, color, and clarity grades. And then last year, we did, um, again, a revision to the reports as we updated the ter terminology to align with the changes that the FTC brought about in America with respect to the terminology of laboratory-grown diamonds. So uh, you're right, in August, we did announce the beginning, beginning of the fourth quarter of 2020, we will report the specific four Cs, color and clarity grades for lab-grown diamonds. And it's an evolution in our grading reports, and it is totally fully aligned with our mission to protect all consumers, and not just consumers of natural diamonds and colored stones. And so there will always be a market for the amazing treasures of Mother Nature. But there is a new generation of customers who do view laboratory-grown diamonds as an option, and we at GIA truly believe that they also deserve GIA's protection. And so as more retailers begin to pick up and carry laboratory-grown diamonds in their stores, and as more new consumers around the world are interested in buying these products, we also strongly believe that the overall market will continue to grow and bring new consumers into the marketplace, many with an aspiration to possibly own a natural diamond, 
at another stage of their life. And that's what we've learned through focus groups and through consumer interaction. Um, but there was confusion and our desire is to educate the consumer and make sure that we fully disclose that they're a hundred percent understanding of the product that they are buying and that they are understanding that this is a man-made product produced in a couple of weeks versus a natural product, possibly more than a billion years old, um, that came to the surface of the earth through a volcano. So they're distinctly different products, but both are diamonds. And we feel that this is the right step to ensuring that consumer protection. All right. Uh, it's interesting you, you point out that, uh, that they, they both are diamonds because um, on, the, on the topic of, of grading, there's been a strong argument from many big players in the natural diamond industry that grading, the whole concept of grading is, is about scarcity and only natural diamonds are scarce and lab-grown diamonds aren't. Um, how and, and therefore only natural diamonds deserve a specific um, grade. How do you respond to that argument? We've graded, uh, we've issued identification reports on synthetic colored stones for a very, very long time, uh, for decades, quite frankly. Um, and we believe, again, that our mission is to protect consumers. And we do that through the incredible research. So the more synthetic diamonds that we see through our laboratories, the more we are able to provide the critical information and research on the products we through our education. And education is why GI was founded in 1931. Um, and so educating the consumer, educating retailers, educating the trade on the differences between natural diamond and laboratory-grown diamonds is a very important part of what we are doing. We also believe very strongly that through the grading reports, we are protecting consumers and we are protecting both the consumers of laboratory-grown purchases as well as natural diamond purchases. So there are always going to be those um, that are fearful of, of change and fearful of the adoption of new products into the marketplace. And it's from self-preservation and survival. And so we understand the position of many, but what our focus is, is on consumer protection. And we will do a tremendous amount through the digital report that we are looking to put to the market there will be clear indication and education for the consumer about the one product being a, you know, the laboratory grown product, being a product that is produced in a couple of weeks in a factory, as opposed to being created by Mother Nature in nature. Mm. So just on, on the issue of the digital reports, will, will you continue to offer the old style paper reports for lab grown diamonds? And the change is only for digital reports? No, this is moving strictly to a digital report. We believe that the consumer of much of the laboratory-grown diamonds is a tech-savvy um, type. I'm not, I, I don't mean to pigeonhole everybody into that, but we believe that they have a different expectation on how they would receive this document. And so this is a digital only. There are two different sizes, one with a plot, one without a plot, similar to our lab-grown diamond. Uh, excuse me, similar to our diamond grading and our dossier reports, but different and very distinctly different in appearance, as well as the information um, that is being provided about the growth process um, of laboratory grown stones. Mm. Right. So there will there will be no more paper lab grown diamond reports. There will not be moving forward now. Right. 
Is, is that a direction you're considering for natural diamond reports too? Uh, it is. It's something we're working on um, and have been working on for quite some time. Again, I think as the word as the world digitizes, um, you know, very few people print a boarding pass today. Sorry, nobody's traveling today, but um, most people are using their their phones for for everything. And I think it's the wave of the future. Uh, it's not that we will necessarily um, revert all reports um, to digital, but that is definitely a trend that we are looking at and looking to answer for our clients and consumers. Right. So I'm going to ask you again how, how, um, how far away in time that's likely to be, but uh, I imagine you'll say it's, something, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the things you're working on. <laughs> we're working on it, and it is one of our key strategic initiatives, and we're hoping to bring it to market um, in the near future. Right. A, a final question about, lab, about lab-grown diamonds. If I'm right, your current grading reports for lab-grown state that this stone may have, may, uh, may have been through uh, um, treatment to change its, its color. Um, etc. Um, how far away are you from being able to declare categorically that a lab-grown diamond has or has not uh, been um, been treated, and what the treatment was? Uh, we're able to identify that obviously through the through our grading process with our research team. But at this time, we didn't feel that it was essential for consumers to to know yes or no it has or has not been. Again, consumers. Um, are not that granular, perhaps, in the, in the expectation of what they're learning. But where it is necessary, we will provide a letter of such, much as we do for the natural diamond trade. Uh, but we will keep that disclosure on the new reports, the digital lab-grown diamond reports. Right, because some in the lab-grown trade um, predict that there will be a, a premium in the long term for as-grown lab-grown diamonds. Do, do you see that? I think the challenge that I see, and I've spoken about this for several years now, is the fact that if you can buy a natural HPHT decolorized diamond for less money than you can buy a lab-grown HPHT decolorized diamond, that's not right for the consumer. The consumer doesn't understand that. And so I do think that there will be an evolution towards it. And I think more and more companies are perfecting the technology and the science is is improving where they are able to grow as grown the specific color as opposed to stones that have a brownish body color to them that are then decolorized to a certain color. Right, right. Um, a, a last question about uh, your origin reports, which I know is something that the trade is quite excited about. Um, do, do you expect strong demand for those origin reports this holiday season? We truly believe that sustainability, responsible sourcing are very important trends that consumers are very interested in. And we, I think you've seen that across all industries, across all sectors. I think people want to know where their $5 cup of coffee comes from today, and therefore they have a right to know where their $5,000 diamond comes from. And I think that there has been strong interest in our Diamond Origin Report. And thankfully, with the upcoming holiday season and some optimism that people are feeling about people's inability to travel, and perhaps those travel dollars will go towards a diamond or jewelry purchase instead, we're very optimistic that we'll have a a very strong response to the Diamond Origin Report. And we know from our own research that um, there is more and more interest of consumers wanting to know more about the origin 
of their diamonds. So the Diamond Origin Reports provides that really all-important independent third-party confirmation that the polished stone matches the rough that we have previously examined, and it links that diamond back to the origin information which is provided to us by the miner. Mm. So we're very um, confident that consumers, as they learn more and more about this new report, uh, will be asking retailers for it. We've got many retailers that are extremely interested in being able to provide that because they want a product that answers the question when their consumer walks in the door. When you say that the consumer wants to know about the origin, how are we defining origin Origin here? Is it the, the country it's from, the mine it's from? I think I don't know that consumers are as interested in the granular information of what mine. I think they have interest in knowing what country their stone came from. So classic example is Prince Harry when he married Meghan Markle. You know, their love and emotion was very tied to Botswana. And so Harry specifically chose a ring uh, with a center stone from Botswana and two beautiful side stones that came from his mother's jewelry, Princess Diana. And it was that emotional tie to a particular country. We see that with many different, uh, there are the Chinese market, for example, is very, very interested in stones from South Africa. And a lot of that comes to the history of diamonds coming from South Africa. But the Canadian market is very, very strong, particularly in North America. Um, so both in Canada, obviously, a lot of people want to buy a stone that was mined in the country in which they live and of which they are, you know, uh, very passionate about. So I think there are different reasons why people are interested in that origin. And oftentimes it's very much tied to a personal passion for something. Right. You've enlightened me there. I didn't know all those, uh, all those details. Finally, um, I'd, I'd just like to, to thank you, uh, Susan Jack of the GIA, for coming on the, the Rappaport Diamond podcast with us. Um, you've really uh, explained uh, a, a lot of important things about what's going on in the, in the world of diamond grading. I'm very happy that you were able to, uh, to join us on the podcast. Well, we were, I'm very honored to have been invited and most excited to be able to share some of the great things that GIA is working on to continue to fulfill the needs of the consumer and also the retailer and the trade as we all emerge from this pandemic. And hopefully our goal is, as is most, to, um, as we enter this recovery stage, get to a point of being able to thrive again. And I'm eternal optimist and a big believer that this industry will continue to be thriving on the other side of the pandemic. Thank you.